just pray this morning that you would uh, speak through me, that God, you would use me uh, in my specific role to empower a team. That God, you would use me this morning from this stage to uh, equip a team. That God, we would leave here and we would be completely passionate about what it is that you're doing in our lives, what you've called us to do, the purposes you've created us for, and the action that it's going to take in order to be able to live those things out. God, we want to be crazy grace. So Father, whatever it is in our life that's keeping us from that, whether it's our our own uh, self-worth, whether it's our own image, whether it's our own habits, or whatever it is, God, that you would begin to, to work on those things individually this morning so that we can begin to collectively carry out your dream, a dream of hope and a dream of mercy, a dream of love and a dream of grace. And we pray this through your son's name. Amen. All right. Everybody have a good Halloween. All right. I want to know how many of you are really, 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 really what we would consider Halloween people. There's four of us. All right. That's awesome. Uh, I love Halloween. I don't love Halloween as much as Christmas. In fact, you know, from here, here's kind of my calendar. October 31st is Halloween. November 1st, it's Christmas. You know, that's just the way I work. But I love Halloween. So you see, there's more people fired up over that than there is over Halloween. And I get it. I am too. So there's, there's a tradition in my house. Ever since my nephews were born, they are now seven and nine. So going on 10 years running, we get together as a family and we dress up as a family unit. And we have done everything from Ghostbusters. And when I say that we dress up as a family unit, we dress up the dogs and the whole deal, okay? If you follow me on social media, you probably are like, this dude is absolutely out of his mind. This year, we dressed up like old people, which my dad was really excited about because he just had to walk outside for the picture. And um, (laughs) that's his words, not mine. He'll listen to this and call me and get on to me about it. But uh, he just said, oh, I love this. I don't have to do anything. And so we even dressed up the dogs like old people. I had several people go, where in the world did you find a, a gray, like, old lady bun wig for a dog? Amazon, Amazon, Amazon. Amazon always has everything. But we do it all, and we love these moments. But my favorite costumes that we've ever dressed up and my favorite costumes to still see people dress up are superheroes. I love seeing superheroes. And so this year, we were kind of out and about, and I always take note of the really, the ones that are all in. You know, they have every accessory you can tell, like this is a grade A costume of a superhero. So I saw a pack of four guys in our neighborhood. They were probably eight to ten years old, somewhere in there. And they were dressed up. One was dressed up like Iron Man. One was dressed up like Captain America. One was dressed up like Thor. And one was dressed up like the Hulk. Better known as what? The Avengers. And so, being the friendly neighbor that I try to be, I'm kind of catching these guys. They're coming off of a porch, and so I'm kind of working my way to a porch. And uh, I see Iron Man, who is just above and beyond. Like the light up, I mean, it's the whole deal. And I was like, dude, I was like, that is awesome. And so I go to fist bump. And so he fist bumps me back when the Hulk jumps in front of me and gives me one of these. And he's got these big, like, green hands. And he's like, If you mess with one of us, you mess with all of us. And I'm like, dude, I will squash you right here, right now, right? And I will take your candy and run. I really didn't do that. But I thought about that, and I laughed, and I said, you know, there's some truth to that. There's, There's some truth to be learned 
from a a nine-year-old dressed up like Hulk. And so what I started to begin to do was think about what I'm calling Avengers math. And it's this, that one is better than one. Now some of you are like, maybe the candy got to him, I'm confused. And what I mean by this is that one team is better than one individual. And so what we see in this, this movie and, and even displayed by a nine-year-old in my neighborhood who I thought was going to, to hit me at places only nine-year-olds can reach, <laughs> what I saw is this, is that this is very different than saying five is better than one. And what we know is this, is that sure, a group of five individuals can probably accomplish more than one person alone, but it's when a group of five becomes one when they become one unit, that you begin to see really magical things begin to happen. Yeah, five individuals doing their own thing can accomplish more than one individual doing his own or her own thing. But what really begins to happen um, that just overtakes and creates this wonderment is when these five begin to say, what if we had some sort of common objective and we all began to navigate our roles seamlessly so that one becomes better than even one. One becomes better than five. And, and yeah, a single might be able to do a few things in a few days and five may be able to do more, but one team working cohesively, begins to really take off. And something begins to happen. So I began to think about this in light of some things that Paul talks about in Corinthians. If you haven't been here, we've been just kind of working through this letter called Corinthians where we begin to see Paul address some issues that that are going to allow the church to be this mechanism, to be this driving force of God's grace out into the world. And it doesn't matter how crazy the world is, that God's grace is crazier than even the craziest situations we get ourselves in. And so when we're a part of a team, when there's this truly cohesive unit that functions with single purpose, we begin to accomplish more than we can ask or imagine. So here's the starting place. The starting place for all is this. Being able to do this requires, and we see this in the Avengers. See, it's tough for Captain America and Iron Man in particular, right? They just have a different worldview. They have a different way of doing any things. And let's be honest, Iron Man's a little bit arrogant. And so they they struggle with this. It's only when they begin to set aside their egos, when they begin to set aside what they want personally, when they begin to trust one another, and they begin to value every single slot, every single person, regardless of what they believe they bring to the table. When they begin to rally around one common objective, we begin to see magical things happen. So let me say it this way. That the abandonment of self is where it's going to start. In order for you to participate on a team, in order for the Corinthian people to participate on a team that's going to be able to be distributors of this crazy grace, they've got to get to a place where they begin to abandon their self. So the abandonment of self allows you to become part of a whole that is greater than the sum of its parts. I know that's really, really wordy, and I tried to like reword it, and it just wouldn't come out any differently. Because I want you to hear this. That the abandonment of self allows you to become a part of a whole that is greater than the sum of the parts. And here's what I want you to catch in this. Let me put it a different way. You become better than you already are when you abandon yourself to become part of a team. Guys, this is not just a Christian thing. This is not just a church thing. Go and ask any CEO that is running a highly efficient, highly effective team. And they will tell you that when individuals will abandon 
at least in part their ego, their pride, to become this cohesive unit that is working toward an objective goal, valuing, trusting all of the individual parts, that, that great things begin to happen, not with just in the team, but the individuals get better, that everyone wins, everyone gets better, and it doesn't matter. Despite their disagreements, and let's be honest, there's going to be some. There are going to be moments that any team disagrees. Despite the differences, and there's most definitely going to be all sorts of differences, when they begin to see the value that each individual slot holds, when each individual team member holds and what they bring to the table and the necessity of things, great things happen, even in the midst of a crazy world, in the midst of chaotic situations, when things look like, you know what, this is going to take a turn from bad to worse any minute. In the midst of those moments, in the midst of moments when there's a lot on the line, in the midst of moments where what I do next is going to matter, and it's going to matter even more significantly than what I did back here. In the moments when it is all important, I mean, there is no bigger moment, it's teamship. It's these moments when we fall into our roles seamlessly that things begin to happen. And it's things that we look back on and go, wow, there's zero chance that could have ever happened if I hadn't have laid down, actively laid down my ego. See, when you begin to set aside ego, here's what's going to happen. Yeah, you become a better teammate. But you're going to become a better employee. You're going to become a better boss. You're going to become a better husband, a better wife. You're going to become a better parent. You're going to become a better follower of Jesus. And together, here's what happens. We become a better church when we do these things. When we take our cues from nine-year-olds dressed as Hulk, and we begin to abandon ourselves, and that's what Paul asked them. He says, can you for a moment begin to lay down some things and begin to work toward a single purpose. And this is where things begin to really take shape was when we define our purpose. And, 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 and I look back and I go, you know, as a follower of Jesus, I never had to guess about this. I never had to wake up and, and go, I wonder what my role is. I wonder what I'm supposed to be working toward today. I wonder what the objective of today is. And as I've led church, I, I wonder what the objective is. Jesus leaves us to, to no guessing about this. He says, no, no. He says, let me give you the dream. And to be cliche, I mean, he says, teamwork makes what? The dream work. And he says, let me tell you the dream because I just want to put that out there. And I know that the team is going to made up, be made up of different parts doing different things, but let me just tell you, he says, as long as you take those different things, doing different things, and, and bringing them and rallying them around a single dream, there'll be some amazing things happen in your houses, in your workplaces, in your communities. And here's the dream. If you think back, listen to some of the things that Jesus says. If you're unfamiliar with these, he says these in, the, in what's known as the Gospels. You know, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, where we record some of Jesus' conversations, some of Jesus' uh, encouragements to people. And he says things like this. He says, may things on earth be as they are in heaven. He says, here's my dream. My dream for you as an individual, but my dream for you as a collective team, as a church. Make things on earth like they are in heaven. And then he tells somebody on a different occasion, he says, you know what's going to really make that take off? Just love God and love people. If you want to know how to bring a slice of heaven to earth, 
If you want to know how to make your earthly workplace a little bit more heavenly, if you want to know how to make your earthly home a little more heavenly, he says, just begin to love God and love people. And then as he's kind of culminating all of this into this final challenge, this final commission where he lays out the mission, he, he gathers everybody in. He says, here's the deal. I want you to go and make disciples. Well, what does that mean? Well, you're going to go make other people. You're going to invite other people along for the ride who will also love God and love people and who will also seek to make things on earth as they are in heaven. He says, that's the dream. That's what we're about. That's our rallying call And every single time he talks about these things, it's not in the context of individual conversations. Every single time that he's talking about these sorts of things, it's in the the context of team. And all along, Jesus had this in mind. He had the church in mind. See, the church becomes the team that God assembles, that he puts together. And it's made up of iron men. It's made up of Captain America's. It's made up of Hulk's. It's made up of all these different pieces. But he says, I want to put together something. And he's continuing to assemble these things generation after generation to do what? To accomplish his dream. And here it is. It's orchestrating crazy grace. It's going into a world that is crazy. It's going into a world that may have lost its mind. It's going into some dark places in our world. It's going into some messy places into our world. And he says, no, I'm orchestrating moments of grace through you. And yeah, you can accomplish a lot, but us, this collective, cohesive team, maximizes this grace, this crazy grace sharing. So back to Corinth. Paul encourages these Corinthians, which it's a letter that he writes, and it's this new group of followers of Jesus. They're new at this. Some of us are new at this. Some of us need to be refreshed in this. So he, he encourages them. He says, listen, you've got to remember that one is better than one. And, and what we need to know about this culture is that Corinth is very divided. And, and, and it mirrors a lot of what's going on right now in our own culture. I mean, I think if we went around, everybody would agree that we are a pretty divided people right now. And they had these different things that divided them, and it was, it was hard lines that were drawn. Number one, they drew hard lines on class. There was a class system, and what class you fit in meant everything. You had upper class, middle class, lower class, not a lot of middle class, so you really had upper class and lower class because about 80% of the population was either slaves, indebted to someone, indentured servants, and so what class you fit into mattered. And as much as we'd like to think it doesn't matter, it matters. It matters in our culture. It mattered in their culture. The second thing at play was this. They would rally around and they would divide up based on philosophy. See, I told you last week that they chased wisdom. And wisdom came from various, way, various uh, different philosophies. So you had all these ancient philosophies at play. You had Greek philosophy. And so you had some that would go, oh, we, you know, and they would take this enlightened view because they had completely bought into, they had completely immersed themselves in Greek philosophy. Then you had Roman philosophy. Then you had Jewish philosophy. And you had all of these different philosophies. You had everyone from, from Plato to Aristotle, from Caesar to Cicero. And it's in the midst of this that Paul speaks And he begins to notice some things. And so start in verse 1 of chapter 3. And it's really not chapters. It's just part of a letter. But listen to what he says. He says, brothers and sisters, 
I could not address you as people who live by the Spirit, but as people who are still worldly. You're mere infants in Christ. I gave you milk, not solid food, for you were not ready for it yet. Indeed, you're still not ready. You are still worldly. I don't know if you noticed, but Paul's setting them up. He's saying it in a word. He's saying, it's time to grow up. It's time to grow up. He said, it's time to take the next step. It's time to level up. It's time to really begin to understand that this is not an individual thing. This is a communal thing. And he goes on to say, he says, you are still worldly. For since there is jealousy and quarreling among you, are you not worldly? Are you not acting like mere humans? I would add, are you not acting like children? For when one says, I follow Paul, and another says, I follow Apollos, are you not mere human beings? I mean, after all, I mean, what is Apollos and what is Paul? Only servants through whom you came to believe. As the Lord has assigned to, to each his task. I planted the seed, Apollos watered it, but God has been making things grow. It's neither the one who plants nor the one who waters who is anything but only God who makes things grow. See, the one who plants and the one who waters have one purpose. But they will each be rewarded according to their own. And here's where he kind of begins to tie this together. He says, for we are partners. Your version may say co-workers. We are partners in God's service. And you are God's field. You are God's building. So Paul hits this head on. And I love that he did because it allows us to hit this head on. He hits it head on and he says, guys, I want to remind you. I know you're young. I know you're just getting started. And I think he wants to remind Wellhouse. I know you're young. I know you're just getting started. And things are going really well. But I need to remind you of something. One is better than one. One is better than one. And that in order to establish, in order to maintain, and in order to thrive, it's going to take a team. It's going to take a team that has common objective, that's clear and motivating in purpose. And since God has already set that purpose and that dream in motion, he says, you are called to be a participant You're called to be a partner in God's building. And here's what he's telling these people as you continue to read the letter. I want to build stronger individuals, but I also want to build stronger families. I want to build stronger communities. I want to build stronger cities. And the way we're going to do that is beginning to share a common objective based on God's crazy grace. He says, and when we begin to rally, he says, "Who is? does it really matter what Apollos does? It's God who is working at something. And so get on board, become a co-worker, become a co-partner. He says it's going to take a team, and there's no, he addresses this a lot, but there's no clearer picture of how he addresses this later on in his letter. If you flip over to chapter 12, which again is just a continuation, it's the same letter to the same people, he, it's one of the mo- I think it's one of the most beautiful pieces of literature written when it talks about this cohesiveness of team. Look what he says in chapter 12, starting in verse 12. He says, Just as a body, he begins to put images on this. Just as a body through one has many parts, but all of its many parts, what, form one body. He says, look at yourself. There's one body, but you have all kinds of parts. But when all of those parts begin to function as a unit, 
things begin to happen. And then he says, so it is with Christ. It's this reminder. He says, listen, you, you may have all these different parts that do different things. My hands can't do what my eyes do. My eyes can't do what my mouth does. But he says, it's all one unit. And they begin to work together to accomplish things. He says, it's no different. I love the imagery. It's no different in the body of Christ, in the church. He says, so, so rally around what it is that you can see, what you can understand. He says, just like your body operates seamlessly, so should the church. And then he goes on to say, he says, for you were all, again, he says, let me, get, let me scoop all of you in. You were all baptized in one spirit, so as, what, to form one body. He says, don't forget that you weren't just baptized, you weren't just saved, you didn't experience this moment of identity change where you said that you wanted to lay down your identity to pick up Christ's identity, to become like Jesus. And so just like Jesus, you know, was, as James talked about, where he died and was buried and resurrected, he says, you too experienced the same things. You died to yourself, and this baptism becomes an emblem, a symbol of you doing that, and you come out with this new identity. He says, listen, you didn't do that just to escape judgment. You didn't do that because you needed to get out of hell free card. He said, no, you did that. What's he say? He says, as to form one body. It's not just individual. It's communal. And so even in something that is so individual and so special and unique to me, even in that, even in me making a decision to be baptized, he says, I know that's a special moment, that's a celebration, that's a ceremony that you've chosen to do. But don't forget, even in that moment, it's still not just about you, it's still about community. It's about teamship, it's about partnership. He says, you did it so that you would form one body. And then he goes on, and I love this. And if there's anything our culture needs to hear right now, it's this. Listen to this. Whether Jew or Gentile, he hits class. Whether slave or free. Whether male or female. Whether black or white. Whether Republican or Democrat whether a Packer fan or a Patriot fan. He says, you fill in your own blanks. Here's what he's saying. It doesn't matter where you came from. It doesn't matter if you've latched on to Apollos or you've latched on to me. It doesn't matter if you think that Plato couldn't hold light to Socrates or Aristotle. He says, it does not matter where you come from. It doesn't matter what the world thinks you have to offer. He says, you're in. You're in. You're in. And guys, I know that this is hard for some of us, or maybe all of us at any given moment and season in our story. I know this is tough for some of us to fully embrace at times because we don't think we deserve this. And I just want to tell you, you're on the team. You're on the team. And you may say, well, but Jason, I've got, a, <laughs> I've got a list of failures and unmet expectations and disappointments a mile long. And Paul says, you're on the team. You're on the team. 
And, and, and we may think that, you know what, I don't really have a lot to offer. I mean, what little bit I have to offer is not even that big of a deal. Or, you know, I'm not even for sure it will really even be noticed if it's there or not there. I mean, it's, it's, is it really even needed? And I'm telling you, it's needed. You're on the team, and your role is huge. Let this sink in. That the mission and ministry of Jesus are accomplished through the person that you look at in the mirror every morning. That the mission and the ministry of Jesus are accomplished through the person who looks at you in the mirror every morning. Everybody take out your phone. I'm giving you permission to take out your phone in church. Open up your photo app. If you're working on a flip phone, I'm really kind of jealous, just to be honest. Take out your photo app and hit that little camera that's got the little, looks like a recycle, better known as selfie mode. If you don't have that, just be that person, and you can ask the person like beside you, am I in frame? Here's what I want you to do. Hold your phone up. I want you to take a selfie. Now, I want you to pull the, pull the picture up. I want you to ask yourself, what do you see? Wrinkles. Somebody said wrinkles. <laughs> and I'm glad you said that because here's what we see. When I look in the mirror every morning, I, I see everything that's wrong with me. I see everything that makes me not equipped to be on the team, to lead the team. I see my past, I see things that if you knew about, man, it would, it would terrify me. I see what I didn't do right yesterday, and I begin to think that I'm probably not going to do it right today. But what if we begin, as we peer into that mirror, what if we begin to see that, you know what, I'm the person that Jesus is going to use today in some way to accomplish his mission in his ministry. See, when I begin to see my eyes, I begin to what? That my eyes are Christ's eyes. And I begin to look at my world and I begin to remember the dream. I begin to what? Look for ways I can bring what? Heaven to earth. When I begin to see my mouth, I begin to see Jesus' mouth. And I begin to ask myself, how is it that I can speak today in a way that what? Brings heaven to earth. When I begin to see and look at my ears, I begin to say, wait, wait, those aren't my ears. Those, are, those, those now have become Jesus' ears. So how can I listen for opportunities to be kind, to share hope, extend mercy and grace, bringing heaven to earth? I begin to see my hands as I brush my teeth. And I would go, oh, you know what? Those are, those are, those are Christ's hands. How can I use these today again to physically in some way, whether it's moving a, a mattress for a mom who doesn't have one for her kids to sleep on or whether it's just allowing someone to go through the door before you do or I don't know what it is. Maybe it's taking something out of your wallet and extending it to somebody. I don't know what it is. But how, how do these hands begin to participate in the mission and ministry of Jesus to accomplish what? Bringing a slice of heaven, a glimpse of heaven to earth. 
See, we begin to see ourselves differently and that the mission and ministry of Jesus is accomplished through you. It's accomplished through you. It's through us. And guys, can I just be honest? This is why Jesus takes the church so seriously. If you remember back to the beginning of Paul's story, for those of you who weren't here, Paul was a persecutor of the church. And when he kind of stops Paul in his tracks and blinds him, the first thing he says is, Paul, why do you persecute me? And Paul's probably like, first of all, I don't even know who you are. It's like this voice in the sky, but what are you talking about? He says, well, when you persecute my people, my church, it's like persecuting me. This is why Jesus takes the church and guarding the church and the imagery of it being his bride so seriously. And the reason is because it's the representation of him. So when you look into the mirror, you don't see you, you see Jesus. And we've already said that when God sees me, he sees Jesus. It's part of my sanctification. It's part of my holiness. It's part of my righteousness that was a gift from God. And so I began to, to operate my, my world, my day differently because all of a sudden I'm looking for these ways. And I don't want you to get crushed by the weight of this reality. For some of you, you're going, oh my goodness. Is this what people have been thinking? Like, I don't want you to get crushed by the weight of the reality that you represent Jesus. No, I want you to feel honored. In this moment, I want you to feel that, listen, I know this is a big responsibility, but I want you to feel encouraged. I want you to feel empowered because, see, Jesus thought of us. He thought of you. And he thought of your uniqueness. And he thought of your giftedness. And he, he thought of you specifically. And he says, listen, this person will be the perfect fit for the team. And see, we get discouraged thinking, well, you know, <laughs> the only ones that are ever really being used by God are the ones who are highlighted in these big moments. We see big things and we automatically think, well, I don't experience big moments and so therefore I'm just a small contributor and I think that God's really not using me because he only does, you know, that kind of stuff. He only does the things that matter through the really big moments, you know, the people who are capable of really big things. And can I just tell you, no. Show of hands. Well, you don't even have to show your hands. What do you know about Peter? Even if you haven't been around church very long, you know that Peter's a pretty significant story, right? I mean, we see Peter just start reading in Matthew, and it won't take you long. You're going to find out who Peter is. And for me, I identify with Peter because Peter's just kind of this loose cannon at times. But Peter is always on the forefront of everything. Peter, Peter, Peter. He was one of the inner circle. You know, it was kind of Peter, James, and John, always right there with Jesus. Peter was always in the midst. He is a main character. He is a central point. He, he, he writes letters. I mean, there's, there's a couple books, First and Second Peter. I mean, Peter is a big deal. But let me ask you, what do you know about Andrew? I know one thing about Andrew. I know too. He was a disciple of Christ who's never mentioned outside of one moment. Here's what Andrew did. He introduced Peter to Jesus. And what you need to know about that is that Andrew and Peter are brothers. Guys, we don't know anything else about Andrew. I don't know a single church he planted. I don't, he didn't write any of this. He didn't write in the New Testament. He didn't write letters. He didn't, I don't know what he did. And it appears that Peter, this main storyline would have never known Jesus if it hadn't been for Andrew. Here's what I'm getting at. 
that Andrew introduces someone, which seems like a small thing. Jesus takes that someone and does amazing things in the beginning of this movement known as church. Because it's not always the big moments. It's not the big moments that's on flashing signs. It's not this stage. It's not big moments where you go, man, I could never teach like that. I could never do this. And you begin down the comparison list as you look in the mirror. No, it may be some little moment where all you do is introduce somebody. It's these little moments that God takes and he has a plan for you. And and it's through this crazy grace we've been talking about that he's going to unleash those plans. And I believe that before before time began, before... (laughs) before you were physically here, that God put something in each of us that he wants to unleash through us. And he's going to do this more times than not in these everyday, ordinary moments. So let me concrete this and we're going to finish. If you keep reading chapter 12, as he kind of sums up this whole, like, one is better than one, one is better than one, he concludes this in verse 27. He says, now, now. You are the body of Christ, and each one of you is a part of it. He says, now. Say it with me. He says, now. Now what? You are a part. You're partners, one. And I want you to keep in mind, he's talking to the same people that were arguing in chapter 3 over who it was that had the best route that had the best plan, who it was that was following the right person. He's talking to the same people. He says, let me walk you through that when you, single, when you begin to, to, to form this rally cry around a single thing, he says, now you, you're on to something. Now you are a part. And he ties up this earlier discussion of planters and waters and all these things. He says, no, now. He says, let me help you grow up now. You are a part of something bigger. You're on the team, and one is better than one. So here's what it really comes down to as we close this up. He says it comes down to alignment. It really comes down to alignment. I had to get an alignment on my truck a couple weeks ago because when I took my hand off the wheel, it just kind of did what it wanted to do, and I'm like, that's not good because I take my hands off the wheel way more than I should. So if you see my truck coming, just, just know that. I thought, i got to get this aligned, and I did, and it was amazing on the trip home. I was able to text with both hands. I'm just messing. I don't do that. (laughs) But it comes down to alignment. And I think for us as Jesus followers, it's this. I want to align with the passion of Jesus and the purpose of the church. I want to align with the passion of Jesus and 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 the purpose of the church. And here's the truth, guys. Every single one of us are passionate about something. And every single one of us will align with some form of purpose. But see, when we put aside our egos, when we put aside our own identity, and we begin to align with this new identity known as Jesus, we say, now I want to be passionate about the things that Jesus is passionate about. I want to make sure that I'm living in a way that is fulfilling the purposes, the dream of a church. What is that? Love God, love people. I want to make sure that I'm giving away slices of heaven in every moment that I navigate earth. So it really comes down to real life roles. See, there's scatterers, and planters, and waterers, and weeders, and pickers, and all of these things all lead toward one thing, and that's God producing growth. 
And I get it, guys. Sometimes this doesn't feel like it's happening fast enough and it's not happening big enough. And we go, man, I don't know if what I'm doing in the present is even mattering. And I just want to let you know that sometimes having a future focus is what's going to motivate present faithfulness. Can I just tell you to continue to be faithful in the moment? But know that God is out there somewhere in the future doing something with what you're doing in the present. And what you do and what we do as a team, it matters. It's a process. I know that uh, it's the truth because I see it every week. Guys, that serving the church and serving the community through the church is, I think, essential for personal growth. The people that I know that are growing and thriving the most in their personal relationships are the ones that are seeking community opportunity, community involvement, community acts of service through the church. You guys have any clue what it takes? I'm just curious. I don't ask this facetiously in any way. You guys want to take a guess how many people it takes to do what we do on Sunday here? I'm talking about the entire experience from when you walk in to you leave, grabbing coffee, everything. You might want to take a guess. It takes right at 50 people every Sunday. But we do this for a specific reason. We do this so that someone in our community who doesn't feel a part of the team can come and experience a moment of team. See, and it takes a team. And so I don't know for you if maybe getting involved in something that happens, maybe that's a starting place for you, something that happens on a Sunday morning. It's already organized. It's easy. It's time structured. You've got to, you know, get up a little bit early. But maybe for you it's about welcoming people, fixing coffee. Maybe it's about setting up chairs or taking down chairs. Maybe it's about putting signs out. Maybe it's about running sound. Maybe it's about playing and using your, your gift up here on stage in some way. But it takes a team. Talking about, you know, future motivating our present you know how many people it takes for us to run our kids' ministry? Which, by the way, I think is one of the most valuable ministries we run on any given Sunday morning. It takes about 15 people, and it really needs 20. And it's this moment where we go, listen, we are impacting, we are shaping and molding the next generation. No, we're not just handing off faith. No, we're growing faith. We're growing faith where they begin to see themselves as creations of God, where they begin to see that, you know what, they are uniquely gifted. And you know what, they're going to use those unique gifts to be a part of a team someday. And so it takes a team. But even outside of these walls, every week, do you know there's teams that pack lunches for kids who won't have any, any meals over the weekend? They pack over 40 lunches every week, and they get dropped off at various schools so that the kids can take something home in their backpack. Otherwise, they'd have nothing in their, in their, their pantries. It takes a team. See, we partner regularly with three local schools that's in need of everything from, from clothing to mentoring to teacher support and everything in between. It takes a team. Guys, we partner with over 10 organizations, 10 plus, and I, I, I missed some this week, I'm sure. And our community, every year, regularly, that do everything from growing food to distributing food, from building wheelchair ramps, clothing people, combing the streets on cold nights to provide heat and safety for the homeless, helping addicts get off and stay clean, cleaning up streets, building playgrounds, and the list can go on and on and on, but it takes a team. If the Imagine event that we talked about gets to 50 people, guess what? It will take a team, and guys, this is just the beginning. So I'm glad that Paul writes to the Corinthians and made it available for us so that we can centralize around the team. Last thing, get your phone back out. Turn it back on selfie mode. 
Stand up. Get with some people around you. I don't care if you know them or not. I want you to take one more picture, but this time I want you to take it with a group of people. Move around. It's fine. There we go. All right, everybody look up here. Here we go. Ready? Now, you can just stay standing. I'm done. I want you to do two things this week. I want you to take your phone out this afternoon. I want you to take it out in the morning. I want you to take it out tomorrow afternoon. I want you to take it out Tuesday morning, so forth and so on. And I want you to look at those two pictures. And here's what I want you to ask yourself and I want you to say to yourself. When you see the picture of you, I want you to say that I am an important part of the mission and ministry of Jesus. And then I want you to flip to the next or swipe to the next. And I want you to say that you have been created for a specific reason. But that specific reason wasn't to just do life alone or to live life and try to navigate controlling everything and having to feel like that you're the one that's got to make it happen. I want you to know that your participation on the team is what's going to make the difference. That, that teamwork really does make the dream work. And if we're going to accomplish in Goodlettsville the dream that God has for this beautiful, growing community, it's going to take both of those pictures. It's going to take you, but it's going to take us. He says it's not about who waters and who plants. It's about somebody doing all of it so that God can somehow give the increase. Father, this morning, we just pray that you empower us to let go of who it is that we have built our identity around, and let's be honest, we build it around ourselves. What we want, what we need, what we desire, what it is that we think's best. God, can we put that aside for just a moment and begin to hear the rally cry? We begin to, to hear the heartbeat of your heart that says, make things on earth as it is in heaven. Love God and love people. Go and make disciples, not so we can grow large numbers, but so we can grow people and grow families and grow homes and grow community to be better people. God, make us not just receivers of crazy grace, but God, may we actively pursue to give out to be distributors, sharers of this amazing grace. Father, when I look at my two pictures this week, I pray that I see myself as worthy. I'm deserving. I'm called. I'm chosen. And God, may that be the only, may that be enough in a world that's going to tell me how I'm not enough, God, may that picture, looking beyond me and seeing you, may that picture be enough this week. And God, as I swipe, may I first be grateful for the team that you've put me on. But may I begin to value, may I begin to seek ways of involvement and participation on a team that matters. And I don't know what that's going to look like in all of our individual lives, but God, I know this, it doesn't have to be something that we feel like is grand and huge and big and magnificent. It's small things. It's small things like unfolding a chair for someone who hasn't been to church in a long time or ever to sit in. Or it's going to be taking glue sticks 
out in a, in a craft room for our kids and keeping the kids from eating them. But God, that's, that's shaping a generation to know you and to know who they are through you. God, maybe it's participating in dropping a, some food in a kid's backpack this week, or maybe it's participating in what's going to turn into a very cold season and hooking up with Stephen and saying, hey, I want to I help comb the streets. Or maybe it's pursuing something as a family or a house group, but God, may we actively seek to be a part of the team. God, we don't have to question whether or not we're on the team. We don't have to wait. We've already been chosen. So thank you for choosing us. Thank you for choosing me. God, we just continue to ask that you, you accomplish your mission and your ministry through this little place called Wellhouse. We pray this through your son's name.